Father in heaven, thank you so much for your incredible love for us. Thank you so much for your mercies, which are new every morning. And God, this morning, we need your mercy. We need your grace. We need for you to pour out your Holy Spirit to impact our hearts. Lord, we don't want to walk out of here the same that walked in. We want to be transformed by Jesus. We want to be filled with more love for Jesus. We want to shine more brightly for Jesus. Would you please do something special in our hearts this morning? Touch us with your Holy Spirit. Move us with your Holy Spirit. May we be drawn closer to Jesus. We pray this because of all that Jesus has done for us in shedding his blood on the cross. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It was 2014, and I got to have some vacation time with Leah's family. We were down in Bakersfield. We'd just uh, flown in. Actually, we had been in Colorado previous to that. We flew into Bakersfield, and then they said, let's go up to visit Leah's sister who lived in Monterey. So we're driving from Bakersfield to Monterey, which I've since learned comes very close to this town. But at the time, I had no idea that I'd be living here. This was back in 2014. So we're driving along. We're coming along the 46. And as we're driving along, suddenly somebody had to stop and use the restroom. We had just gone through a little town. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I think it's Kulema. Okay, what you said. So we'd just come through that town, and we came to a rest area. And there, this rest area, it's called the Shandon Rest Area. I didn't know what Shandon was at the time. We just pull into this rest area, and we walk into the bathrooms. It was September, so it was a really hot September. It was about 100 degrees outside that day. We quickly walk into the restroom, use the restroom. We quickly walk back to the cars. We were in two different cars. We had stuff full because uh, Emily was just moving into her house up in Monterey. So her parents' car was full of stuff. We go back to get in our cars. They start up their car. I walk back to the car. I hop in. Leah hops in, put the key in, turn the key, <laughs> nothing happens. That's strange. I've never had this happen before. I mean, I've had a battery die after the car sits for a little while. I've had a car, but when you're driving for hours and then you pull up to a rest area and then you come back and it won't start, I thought, this is strange. My lights aren't on. What's going on? Got out, opened the hood up, looked around for as much as I knew to look for, and then hopped back in, tried it again. It didn't do anything. I said, this isn't good. Leah's dad came over. He knew a little bit more than I did. And pretty soon we said, well, maybe we should use jumper cables and try to restart the car. So we hooked our car up. It's just a little Civic and hooked it up to their car, which is a bigger SUV. And hooked the two together, let the car run for a while, and then said, okay, let's try it. So tried it. Nothing. At least there was a little electrical. I don't even know if there was even a little electrical noise at that point. Still nothing. The car was deader than dead. Thankfully, we had AAA, pulled out the card and called up to uh, the tow truck company, and they said they could send out a tow truck company from Paso Robles. I didn't even know we were close to Paso Robles. They said, where are you? I said, I don't know. It's Shandon. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, Shandon. Okay. Well, it's about half an hour out there, so, or they, they had some other things on the way, and it was going to be about half an hour before they could come. So they're Car was full, but Leah and her mom got in that car because it was running and the air conditioning was on. So her dad and I, being the men, decided, okay, we'll brave it outside. So we went and sat in the shade on some benches there at the rest area. We were just sweating. And we were just sitting there thinking, what 
Why did this happen to us? We're in the middle of nowhere. Look at these brown hills. This feels like a desert. Why are you letting this happen to us, God? Why are we sitting here in the middle of nowhere, sweating, wondering what is going on? How do you react? How do I react when things go wrong in our life? When we end up in a place that we didn't think we should be, when, when we're stuck where we didn't want to be stuck. How do you react? How do I react? What is our response in a situation like that? What should our response be? Thank you, Yana, for reading the scripture from Acts 1, verses 7 and 8, where Jesus promised the disciples that you will receive power from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then what does it say to do after that? You will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. You will become witnesses throughout the earth. So in Acts chapter 1, it tells us how after Jesus had ascended to heaven, they went and they prayed for 10 days. They prayed for this promise. They said, this is amazing, Jesus. You promised us to be witnesses. And so they spent 10 days asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit on them. At the end of 10 days, you have Pentecost, and this amazing day happens where they're able to speak different languages, and people are hearing the gospel in their native tongue, and Peter stands up and says, this is the Holy Spirit that God has promised being poured out, and 3,000 are baptized at the end of that day. We keep on reading, and we talked a few weeks ago about at the end of Acts chapter 3, after there's that healing of the lame man by the temple, Acts chapter 4 begins in verse 4 and saying that there were about 5,000 who believe the word. It's multiplying rapidly. The church is growing. It's expanding. Soon after that, it's not even that they count it by numbers anymore, but it's just, just talking about people being added to the church daily, and it's just exploding. But still, the church is focused in Jerusalem. The church is just there together in Jerusalem. And I don't blame them at all. If you've ever been part of a growing, exciting church, I love being here in Templeton. I love being here at this church. I love to see what God is doing here. And so I want to be here each Sabbath. And maybe that's what they were thinking. Each, each week they wanted to go to the temple and worship together. They were meeting together in house, from house to house. And they forgot what Jesus had said to do. What did Jesus say to do? He said, witness from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But here they are. They're holed up in Jerusalem. And you can read all the way through Acts chapter 6, where they choose uh, seven deacons to oversee the, the feeding of the widows because it was getting difficult to organize because the church was growing and getting bigger. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen witnesses, and he shares uh, an amazing way. And at the end of Acts chapter 7, Stephen is stoned. Then in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, it says this. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I love the commentary in the book Acts of the Apostles, page 105. It says, Forgetting that strength to resist evil is best gained by aggressive service, they began to think that they had no work so important as that of shielding the church in Jerusalem from the attacks of the enemy. 
to scatter his representatives abroad where they could work for others, God permitted persecution to come upon them. What do you do when bad things happen in your life? Why do bad things happen in your life? Why do you go through difficult times in your life? You ever wondered that? What would you do if you were these disciples of Jesus, these followers of Jesus, and suddenly there's this great persecution. Before this, there had been some persecution, but at this point it says there is great persecution and that they were scattered. Can you imagine your life is being hunted? People are wanting to put you to death. Saul and his and his group is after you. They have uh, the scribes and the Pharisees are all working together to put you to death. Look at how bad this uh, actually gets. If you read further on, uh, verse 3 says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Then if you jump over to Acts chapter 26, it describes this in Paul's own words as he's describing his conversion experience. Saul tells what, or at this point his name is Paul. He tells what had happened before his conversion, starting in verse 9 of Acts chapter 26. It says, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly arranged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This was Saul. The man who later became Paul, and he was upset with the followers of Jesus. He's on their track. And can you imagine what they're thinking at this point? God, I thought we were supposed to receive power. I thought we were supposed to be able to share about you everywhere, that we were supposed to be your witnesses. And here, we're going to be put to death? Stephen got put to death, and we don't know about others, but Saul tells us that people were put to death, and he was consenting with that. So all these people are being put to death. God, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. This isn't what's supposed to go on in my life. God, why are you letting this happen? What would you do in that circumstance? Would you run for your life? Maybe we would go off and we would move out into the country. We'd hold up as much food as possible. We'd build big walls around our house. We'd do whatever it took to make sure that we were protected. We'd hire a big army, do whatever it took in order to keep Saul away from our family. Is that what we'd do? What would we do if we were under that kind of persecution? What did they do? Look at verse 4 of Acts chapter 8. Jumping back to Acts chapter 8. Right after it's saying that every house he was dragging men and women, committing them to prison. This shows that women were probably a part of sharing the gospel because he's also persecuting the women. Whole families are being dragged off to prison. Verse 4 says this. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, what? Preaching the word. They went everywhere, and what did they do as they went everywhere? They weren't running for their lives and just trying to protect themselves. They're preaching the word because they knew Jesus, and they loved Jesus, and their lives, the only thing that mattered to them in their life was to share Jesus with everyone possible. And so when they're under persecution, they said, okay, This gives us the opportunity to share Jesus with more people in more places. And they began to preach the word wherever they went. I want to live my life like that. I want to be thinking about 
sharing Jesus with everyone, everywhere I go, rather than being worried about my own business, worried about my car that broke down, worried about all that's happening in my life, the financial difficulties, the things that are happening at work, rather than being focused on that, I want to say, Jesus, how can I share you more effectively with the people around me? Verse 5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. See, Philip was one of these who was scattered, and what were they preaching? They were preaching Jesus. Everywhere they went, they had to share Jesus because they loved Jesus. They knew that Jesus had done so much for them. He'd been filling them with the fruit of the Spirit, with love and joy and peace, and they wanted everyone in the world to experience what Jesus had given them. So wherever they went, they preached Christ. I want to live like that. Everywhere I go to preach Christ. Verse 6, and the multitudes, with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And then look at verse 8. Look at the result of Philip sharing the gospel with these people. Why should I want to share the gospel? Why should I bother people? I mean, when I go through the grocery line and I want to tell the checker, hey, do you know Jesus? Or or I want to share something with them. I don't really want to bother them. I don't really want to inconvenience this person. They're busy. They have things that they're going about. Look at the difference that preaching the word, that sharing Christ makes in people's lives. Verse 8. And there was great joy in that city. See, they were able to share Jesus. They were able to share the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that they had experienced. And Jesus blessed those people with great joy. That's why I want to share Jesus with this world. I don't want to keep the joy that I have to myself. And if you haven't yet experienced the joy that Jesus can give, then go to him every morning and ask him, would you give me a fresh baptism of your Holy Spirit? You've promised me that you will fill me with fullness of joy. Would you fill me with joy today so that I can share that with other people? There's nothing better than to be able to make other lives better through sharing Jesus. The following verses after this, Philip has shared in Samaria, and before long, the apostles end up coming down to Samaria because they want to find out what is this that's going on down there in Samaria. Here they are in Jerusalem, and they want to make sure that this is God's work going on. You see, Philip, this isn't the Philip that we think of who followed Jesus. This isn't one of the apostles because it said that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. This is Philip who, maybe it was one of the seven deacons in Acts chapter 6. This is just one of those who was told to wait on tables. This isn't one of the amazing apostles, right? This is Philip. But the Holy Spirit is using him mightily to impact people. Sometimes we get set, well, maybe it's the pastor that just needs to share Jesus with people. Or maybe it's just the evangelist who goes around that needs to share people with Jesus. But that's not what you find in the early church. You find that everybody is sharing Jesus because they love Jesus. They'd had such an amazing experience with Jesus. They had to share Jesus everywhere they went. So everywhere they went, even though they were in, being threatened with death, They're just preaching Jesus. They're sharing Jesus. They're preaching the word of God everywhere they go. After the apostles come down, they pray for these people. They receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's a very interesting chapter. But then later on, it tells something happened in the apostles' lives themselves. 
Verse 25, when they finished there, this is talking about the apostles. It says, so when they had testified and preached the word of God, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Up to this point, the apostles had only been in Jerusalem, but because of what Philip was willing to do in going and sharing in Samaria, now the apostles are saying, maybe we could do that too. What difference can God make through you? When as you begin to share in your sphere of influence, people begin to fall in love with Jesus. It's going to grab people's attention and more people will begin to share because of what you've done. Then verse 26 begins an amazing story about what takes place in Philip's life. If I'm Philip at this point, I would think, okay, I'm going to stay in this city in Samaria. I'm going to set up a big church here. I think this is a great place for us to worship. I think I have a lot more work to do here. You know, it's interesting that all these people responded to Philip's preaching there in Samaria. It was likely due to the fact that Jesus had gone to Samaria with a Samaritan woman, you remember, at the well. And after the Samaritan woman heard from Jesus, she went off and she brought all of her friends and he stayed there three days. And Jesus had told the disciples, the fields are white for the harvest. That the harvest was, was coming to fruition, but those people didn't follow Jesus fully until after Pentecost, until Philip goes and begins preaching in the villages in Samaria. So you have all of these people responding to the gospel. This is a great place for us to set up camp and to build another church and to, to stay here and just to be happy that we can meet together and focus on our own needs. But look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now the road from Jerusalem to Gaza was at least 50 miles, but there were a couple different routes that you can take. And this angel specifically tells Philip which route he is to take. Continues, this is desert, or maybe that's commentary from Luke. But either way, he was to take the desert road. He was to go out into the wilderness. He was to go from this place where God was impacting hearts, where lives were being changed, and he was to head out into the desert. As I was sitting there on that bench at the Shandon Rest area, talking to my father-in-law, and we were just talking about different things, began to look around, looking at how barren the hills looked. Then all of a sudden, I saw there was another car broken down in the parking lot. And there was a young man there, probably in his 20s, standing by his car. He had a jug of water that was about empty, and he was just pouring the last little bit in his radiator. And I felt this impression. You should go over and find out if you can help him. That what do I look like? Am I a mechanic? I don't know how to help him. I don't think so. It's hot out here. I decided to go into the bathroom again. So I went in the bathroom. As I came out of the bathroom, here he was, that same individual walking towards the bathroom, and my path was going to cross with him. I said, okay, God, you got my attention. You want me to talk to this guy? So I said, hey, what's going on? What's, what's up with your car? What, what's wrong? He said, I don't know for sure. He's like, but I need some more water. Do you, could you get me some more water? So I went, and we went to uh, my in-law's car, and we got a little bit more water, helped him out with that. Still, his car wasn't starting, so he ends up calling a tow truck, and it's going to be a while for his tow truck, too, but Pretty soon we began to talk and we shared some common interests. We both played basketball. We were talking about that. And then I found out that he was actually uh, lived near where my sister-in-law lived up in Monterey. So I began to talk to him. He said, so what do you do? I said, well, I'm actually a pastor. And Really? 
Then I was able to share with him my testimony about how that wasn't always my plan in life, but that God had directed me in that direction. And as he heard that story, pretty soon he was more interested, and I was able to share with him just a little glow track that had a little bit more about Jesus, a little more about the Bible. I don't know what ended up happening in Michael's life later on, but I still have him on a list to pray for. Because I know that God had me at that rest stop on that day for a specific reason. And I was too focused on my business. I was too focused on my own needs and how miserable I felt sitting out there to share with him. Until God finally said, hey, you've got to share with this guy. You've got to tell him about Jesus. You've got to tell him what I've done for you in your life. It's all too easy to get tied up in our own business, to get tied up in our own affairs, our own work, our own things that we're going about, and to forget that we have one thing to live for. There is the God of the universe who sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for you and I, and he didn't die on the cross so that you and I could go and live our own lives for our own good, but he died so that we could live for him. Will I live my life all out for Jesus? As you read here about Philip, he's instructed to do this thing that didn't make sense to him, to run out on this desert road, to go at least 50 miles out, to go to Gaza. Verse 27, so he arose and went. I love how Philip responds. I wish that I was so instantaneous when the Holy Spirit begins to impress you about this person or this need. I wish that instantly I responded. So he arose and went, and then look at what happens. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. And sitting in his prophet in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Well, how does this happen? I mean, this is the premium witnessing opportunity for Philip. Here he's going to be able to share with this Ethiopian eunuch, somebody with power, somebody who's reading the scroll of Isaiah. Philip couldn't have lined this up on his own. Philip couldn't have worked this out in in his own strength. He, He didn't know that if he ran out into the wilderness that there was going to be somebody there who was searching the scriptures, looking to heaven for light. I love more commentary in the book Acts of the Apostles. Page 109, it says, An angel guided Philip to the one who was seeking for light, who was ready to receive the gospel. And today, angels will guide the footsteps of those workers who will allow the Holy Spirit to sanctify their tongues and refine and ennoble their hearts. God's wanting to guide you and me. He's promised that he will make us witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's interesting that Ethiopia was actually considered by that region at that time to be probably the ends of the earth. And here comes an opportunity to witness to this Ethiopian eunuch who's wanting to know more about God. Only God can work out those kind of situations. Only God can arrange for those type of situations. I had a, a, an opportunity with somebody that was interested in Bible studies in Paso Robles. I went to their house and, and gave them the study for them, them to check out. And, and they said, you know what? I know somebody that really needs this. And through this, he gave me a phone number of a lady who lived in Pastor Robles also. And I was talking to this lady on the phone. And she said, well, I don't think now is the right timing for these studies for my grandson. But may, 
And let me share you about my testimony. She began to, to tell the story of what God had been doing in her life. Well, before long, Leah and I were actually in the car and we were headed somewhere and we were on the edge of the service zone and I was going to run out of cell service soon, so I'd pulled off the road and we had a meeting to get back to in Paso Robles. So Leah was tapping me on the leg saying, we better get going. So I said, okay, I know what I'll do. I'll offer and see if there's anything she needs prayer for because she was a real talker and she just kept talking on the phone, talking on the phone. I said, is there anything that I could do to pray for you? And she said, you know what? I'm flat on my back right now. I have these compression, this com- um, sorry, com- a compression fracture in my back. I've been laying like this for months. It, it doesn't really hurt, but I just, I'd like for you to pray for my back and also to pray for my grandson. So I said a quick prayer, not even thinking about the amazing power of the God I was praying to. The God of the universe who can control all of the stars, who controls all the planets, and who can watch out for your and my health. As I prayed to that amazing God, hung up the phone after saying goodbye, didn't think anything about it for the next couple of weeks. Until my phone rang and I wasn't able to answer it. I think it was a Saturday morning we were here in Dirch and got a voicemail from this lady saying, you wouldn't believe it. I went to the doctor and the doctor said, your compression fracture is totally gone. You're healed. She said, God worked a miracle. I'm totally well. Praise God. I wasn't even expecting that. But God has a way of ordering our footsteps when we make ourselves available to him. But even better than that, he sets things up in an even greater way because Elias, who's the head elder at our Spanish church, turns out, she's telling me more of her testimony. She said, yeah, I was really needing somebody to work around my house. And one day, all of a sudden, as I was praying this, there was a doorbell, the doorbell rang. And there, guess who was standing at her front door? It was Elias. And Elias has been working on her yard. And pretty soon, she's telling Elias the story about her back being healed. And she tells the story about this guy, Zach, over, who prayed for her. And he said, wait, Zach, I think that's the pastor of my church. So we're going to go and we're going to visit this lady. I was up at the Spanish church earlier today and he was talking about going to visit this lady. God is able to arrange our footsteps in ways that can impact the world in ways that we wouldn't be able to if we tried to do it in our own strength. Philip For all that he knew, thought he should stay in Samaria and keep preaching the word there. God says, run out into the desert. And so he runs out into the desert. And then God keeps giving him more instructions after he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, who's a great, powerful Ethiopian eunuch, under the queen, who has access to the treasury in Ethiopia. Verse 28 continues, And sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Verse 29 Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Do you know that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you? In Isaiah chapter 30, it says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. I think all too often, I have dulled my senses to this voice. I'm too on track with what I need to get done during the day with my priorities and what I think needs to happen, that I'm not even listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Not Philip, though. The Spirit said to Philip to go near and overtake this chariot. What does Philip do? Verse 30, so Philip ran to him 
And as he runs up to this chariot, just imagine he's running across the desert, sees this chariot, the chariot's riding along. As he runs up to him, he heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. Now, in the ancient Near East, and in, even in this time, they, it, it seems to be a while after this that people really began to read silently like we read today. There's actually dissertations that have been done on this. The fact that we read it silently today, but back then it seems that most people read out loud. So here he is reading the prophet Isaiah. He's there in his chariot, and Philip overhears him, and he says to him in verse 30, Do you understand what you are reading? Verse 31, and he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. How can I understand unless somebody guides me? Do you know that there are people outside this church who don't understand the Bible like you understand the Bible? And they just need for you to come close to them. By the power of the Holy Spirit, as he leads you to the right people and to to say, let's look at Jesus as he's revealed in the Bible. Can I share with you about Jesus? It's amazing what he was reading in verse 32. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. What better passage for him to be reading? Philip couldn't have planned this. God had him reading Isaiah chapter 53, which is one of the clearest prophecies in all of the Old Testament about Jesus. Here he's reading it, and then he asks this question in verse 34. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does this prophet of whom does this pro- the prophet say this? Of himself or of some other man? Now in Greek here, when he's asking him, he's asking him urgently. He really wants to know. He really wants to find out Bible truth. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. What do you do when somebody wants to know truth? What do you do when somebody says, I don't understand the Bible? Start with where they're at. Start with their questions and preach Jesus to them. Sometimes we tend to go off in different directions and we talk about other things that we think are important, but all of it is about Jesus. Jesus himself said that these are they which testify of me when the scribes were talking about the scriptures. All of it is about Jesus. And Philip begins with this scripture and he preaches Jesus to him. And look at the result, verse 36. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Amazing. He's so convinced by this is such a powerful thing that you've been sharing with me about Jesus and about the new life that he wants to give me. I've got to be baptized. I have to be baptized in the name of Jesus so that I too can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Then Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Amazing story of what God wants to do in your and my life when we are fully surrendered to the Holy Spirit. But it just keeps on getting better. Philip is so surrendered to the Holy Spirit at this point that the Holy Spirit can do something that we don't read about very often in the Bible. There are a few indications of it, but look at what happens in the very next verse. Verse 39, now when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away 
so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine this? As you are this eunuch and you have this guy suddenly come running up to you in the desert. He hops into your chariot. He explains Jesus to you. He takes you to the water. He baptizes you. You come up out of the water to give him a hug. He's gone. In an instant, the Spirit of God takes him and he disappears. But the eunuch trusts him with God and just goes on his way rejoicing. He's filled with that joy that comes from knowing Jesus for himself. That's the result of sharing the gospel with your friends, with your neighbors, with your coworkers. They should be filled with the joy that comes from knowing Jesus for themselves. So what happens to Philip? Verse 40, but Philip was found at Azotos. Azotos was a city that could have been at least 20 miles away. We don't know where in the desert they are at this point, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit grabs Philip and all of a sudden he finds himself in Azotos. Imagine you're Philip. There you are. You're baptizing somebody all of a sudden, you're in the middle of a city, 20 miles away. You don't even know where you are. What do you do? What does Philip do? And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He goes up the coast, and he's just preaching Jesus. He says, I end up in this city. I'm just going to tell them about Jesus. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstance takes place in my life, I'm going to share Jesus. I'm going to preach Jesus because that is what I live for. I want that to be all that I live for because Jesus lived all for me. What an amazing story of what God can do when we are fully surrendered to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing because we look at the country of Ethiopia and today Ethiopia is one of the most Christian countries that we know about. It's it's one of the first countries, when we look at its, its history, it started early on to be a Christian country, and many trace it back to this encounter with Philip. That this Ethiopian eunuch, he went back to Ethiopia, and he began to share about the love of Jesus. He went on his way rejoicing, not just keeping it to himself, but the first impulse was to share it with everybody else possible, because that's always the response of the converted heart, to share Jesus with everyone possible. And it's amazing, because Around 500 AD, Ethiopia got cut off from the rest of the Christian world. Because of Islam and all that was going on in northern Africa, they were pretty separated for, historians say, for about a thousand years, there was no interaction with the rest of Europe. For a thousand years, they didn't have other interactions with Christians, but the Christian church just continued to stay faithful there in Ethiopia. Around 1500, this is around the time of the Great Reformation, the Islam began to press in on uh, the Ethiopian country, and Ethiopia actually sent for help to Portugal. So as they send these emissaries off to Portugal, the emissaries go explaining what's going on, and, and one of the things they explain, and we'll put this up on the screen, is from the book History of the Sabbath by J.N. Andrews. He quotes what they actually told to these people in Portugal. They explained to them why they worshipped On the seventh day Sabbath, it said, because God, after he had finished the creation of the world, rested therein, which day as God would have it called the Holy of Holies, so that not celebrating thereof with great honor and devotion seems to be plainly contrary to God's will and precept, who will suffer heaven and earth to pass away sooner than his word. And that especially since Christ came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, it is not therefore in imitation of the Jews, but in obedience to Christ and his holy apostles that we observe that day. 
Here they'd been on their own for a thousand years, separated from the Christian church. And the Christian church had little by little changed their pattern of worship. But here in Ethiopia is a group who's saying, wait a second, we got to get back to the Bible. When does the Bible tell us to worship? We want to follow Jesus with all of our hearts. And as they send these emissaries off to Portugal, they begin to explain how they worship, and then they worship on the seventh day. And this actually sparked a war where the Jesuits sent an army down to Ethiopia, and before long there was an army where they were trying to get them to confess the, uh, the Pope as, as being supreme, and they were trying to convince them about things like purgatory and all these different things. And before long, the Ethiopians finally rose up, and they had this bloody battle against the Catholic Church. Here was a faithful group that said, we're going to stick to the Bible and the Bible only. Can you imagine what would have taken place if Philip said, no, I'm going to stay in Samaria or no, God, I don't think I can run off into the desert today. I've got too much to do. I don't have time for this today. He didn't do that. He rose up in an instant, ran out into the desert, and God changed an entire country because he witnessed to one individual person. What does God want to do through you? What could that one person, that neighbor, that person walking their dog by your house that you've wanted to talk to, that the Holy Spirit's been impressing you to talk to, when you talk to them, what difference can that make in their lives? What joy can that bring to their lives when they learn the truths about Jesus that you know? Will we share Jesus with this world? Will we live our lives sharing the gospel with this world? The devotional book, My Life Today, says this about the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's power that we need. This can do more for us in one minute than we can ever accomplish by our talking. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is something that will do far more than we could ever do in our own strength. Philip couldn't have arranged this, but the Holy Spirit did. So how about you and I? Will we be sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit? Will we do what the Spirit prompts us to do? Will we share wherever we go? We have lots of opportunities in this church right now to share. Coming this Friday night, we have the Revelation of Hope seminar coming up. It's going to go through the book of Revelation and talk about amazing things about Jesus and how the book reveals Jesus. And it's going to share about many of the Bible truths that we hold dear. I want to encourage you to come if you've never been to a prophecy seminar before. Come on February 19 at 7 o'clock to check it out. And tell your friends about it. In the back, we're going to have plenty of flyers. We have about 4,000 of them. And we passed a bunch of them out, but we still want to keep passing out more of them. There's a chance for outreach tomorrow. But as you leave, grab some of these. Grab a, a glow track in there, the love letter to Jesus track. Grab something that you can take to your neighbors to tell them about Jesus. Grab something that you can take to your barber, to your hairdresser. Grab something that you can take to that clerk at the, at the dollar store. Wherever you go, share Jesus. Preach Jesus. And when your car breaks down, look for who Jesus wants you to share with. Jesus is big enough to coordinate your life in such a way that when your car breaks down, he probably has a good reason for it. There's probably somebody that he wants you to love for him. Share Jesus wherever you go. If it's your desire to share Jesus everywhere you go, I want to invite you to stand with me. If you want to be a part of that group that says, I'm going to share Jesus. I want to be so surrendered to the Holy Spirit that I'm willing, even in a moment, if he transports me, I'm ready to go. I want to share Jesus. 
wherever I go. In closing, from the book's Acts of the Apostles, if we can get this up on the screen, page 111, it says, Long has God waited for the spirit of service to take possession of the whole church so that everyone shall be working for him according to his ability. When the members of the church of God do their appointed work in the needy fields at home and abroad in fulfillment of the great commission, the whole world will soon be worn and the Lord Jesus will return to his, this earth with power and great glory. Then it goes on to quote Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a witness and then shall the end come. Let's pray together. Precious Father in heaven, You have done so much for us. God, I ask for personal forgiveness for being distracted in my own life. I ask for forgiveness for not recognizing the opportunities that you're giving me to share. God, I ask that you fill us, that you compel us, that you help us to surrender fully to your Holy Spirit, that we could share the love of Jesus everywhere we go. Because nothing else matters. Nothing else is so important as this. Soon this life will be over. And we want to have shared Jesus with as many as possible. Lord, bless us as we ask for more of your Holy Spirit. Please fill us with more of your Spirit because we have a living Savior. Because you are our living God. Thank you that you are able to use us to impact this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.